Welcome to New York Institute of Technology's podcast, The Scope. Produced by the College of Osteopathic Medicine, our episodes focus on the medical school experience and how it helps shape future physicians. Learn about exciting new health and wellness initiatives, cutting-edge medical research and technology, and how to effectively navigate medical school. We are excited to have you join us. Good evening and welcome to the SCOPE podcast. I am your host for tonight, third-year medical student Kimberly Fasiglione. This evening, I am joined by a terrific discussion panel who will share practical ideas, personal experiences, creative approaches, and easy methods to help medical students and others more effectively manage their day-to-day finances during medical school. Please welcome from our New York campus, Financial Aid Director Claire Jacoby, former Consumer Banking Vice President and current NYITCOM Director of Student Professionalism and Special Projects, Susan Payette-Kulik, and Associate Dean of Academic Affairs, Associate Professor and NYITCOM alumni, Dr. William Blasey. And from our Arkansas campus, Assistant Professor of Clinical Specialties, Dr. Adrian Loftus, thank you all for joining us. I'd like to open our conversation tonight by asking our financial aid director, in your opinion, why is it so important for medical students to effectively manage their personal finances, especially during their medical school years? It's important for them to manage and to budget their money on a yearly basis and make sure they have money to cover all their expenses, but not to live like a doctor now and a student later, because that's what will happen. You know, people don't realize that as in school, you actually get more money in your student refund than you do as your first or second year as a resident. So important for them to really manage their money effectively during their four years at a medical school. And then when they go into residency, they have a better idea of how to manage that money. Thank you, Claire. So what would you say are some ways for students to accurately assess how much loan money they will need per year? Well, what we do is in both campuses, we are not financial advisors. We will sit down with a student and actually go through their budget with them and explain to them, you know, what is their wants versus their needs. A lot of students think that a lot of their needs are wants and vice versa. We go through the whole breakdown and we will provide students, you know, a breakdown of what they need to do, uh, what they need to pay for, how to manage their money. Other ways could be just really tight budgeting, maybe, you know, making your own coffee, It could be anything. Myself, I cut out coupons. I love cutting out coupons. I mean, it's the best thing going. Even if you save a dollar, two dollars, those dollars add up. And as a student, those one or two dollars can pay something later on once it's all added up. So there are many different ways that a student can actually uh, budget their money and we can help them if they need help. Thank you, Claire. I know personally, couponing has never been easier than with our phones. There are so many different apps that you can get coupons on and the specific store apps, they have a lot of coupons for stuff that you're buying anyway. So it's always good to check. And I would recommend that to my fellow medical students. How can a credit score affect a medical student? 
That's a good question. You know, there's two different types of loans, the unsubsidized and the grad plus loan. The grad plus loan is a credit-based loan. So the credit score is a really important uh, item for a student to look at prior to coming to medical school. Grad plus loan, which is a credit-based loan, actually pulls the credit report for the student. So the student cannot have any negative credit factors or be delinquent on their credit cards or any of their bills, you know, within the past 90 days. Otherwise, they are denied the loan. And if they're taking out a private loan, what will happen is that the bank will pull out a credit score. And depending upon that credit score, that loan may be denied. In order for you to get the Grad Plus loan every year, over the four years, you have to maintain good credit over the four years. There are for, um, you know, especially fourth year students, there are actually lenders out there that will be willing to lend you like a, a mortgage because they do look at future income. And based upon the future income, it is a possibility where you can actually, instead of paying rent, get like a small, like a condo or co-op which in the long run would be beneficial to you when it comes to your assets and things like that versus just paying rent. So the credit score is so important just for every single student to check. Wow, thank you, Claire. It sounds like students need to prepare for medical school loans and their finances before even coming to medical school because you have to make sure your credit score is intact. So my next question would be for all of our panelists. In your opinion, does this modern electronic way of financing pose additional challenges for students of today compared to the students of the past when things were done at a more manual level, such as actually going to the bank and applying for your loan? What do you think? Dr. Blazy? So I think that's a great question, Kimberly. I think today it's even more challenging than when I was a medical student because I actually had to balance my checkbook and make sure that I wrote down every little detail of the money coming and going and my bank statements were mailed to my apartment and I watched each one of those and everything was done on paper but now with everything electronic sometimes things can get away from you and so I think today more than any time it's even more important as a student um, to look at your statements if you want to do it online or make even a schedule in your calendar I know for me as an attending physician out of practice the other day, I tried to figure out where all my money was going. And I'll admit that I haven't been balancing a checkbook for the last couple of years. And all of a sudden I saw bills that were $200, $300 a month for services that I was barely using. And so I had those moments where I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's where my money's been going. And I think with today's electronic age, that could be really challenging for a young person that really needs to count every single penny to make ends meet. So it can definitely be really challenging. And I, I think one of the things to do is to make sure to be aware of everywhere that your money might be going and look for those ways to be able to cost cut. Yeah, that's helpful. I know for students, they're always thinking, but I need to study. I don't have time to do that. I need to study. I'm spending the money anyway, but it's really easy to just set aside some time every month, especially there's ways for most credit cards to change the due date of your statement when things are due so that you can schedule it around when you have free time. And that's what I would advise all my colleagues to do. Dr. Loftus, do you have some thoughts on this? 
So I definitely agree with Dr. Blazy. I think we're both from the same generation where checkbooks were there and then they weren't. So we learned this probably in school, uh, what's called a home economics class that they don't have anymore. And that transition is so kind of broad as to what you can do with this. So one thing that I would maybe suggest is just like you brought up, Kimberly, is maybe once a month setting aside a day, maybe the first of the month, maybe the last day of the month, and even taking your statement Probably most people still get an email statement or saying that their statement is ready, or you can go onto any of your banking apps and find that statement and at least sitting down and making sure that goes with what you thought you have spent. So going over each one, something else you can do is keep those receipts that you use. I know we're in the age also of having less paper, but getting an electronic receipt for most places, you can also check them with that bank statement. Thank you, Dr. Loftus. That's so helpful. What about you, Susan? Well, I do think it's very important to do the few minutes of looking at the monthly statements and um, mistakes do happen. So there's a variety of reasons that one should and can do that. One is it is going to make you aware of where you're spending your money. But the other thing is to make sure that you're uh, checking that there are no transactions that maybe are questionable or don't belong to you. And if there are, you need to check that out because, again, mistakes are not often in occurrence, but they do happen. The other thing, depending upon what kind of statement that you're looking at, you should make sure that you're not being charged certain types of service fees. And as a former bank officer, maybe a little later in the conversation, I can address that a little further. But the electronic world versus what Dr. Loftus and Dr. Blasey are saying, as far as the more manual world, I would say, in my experience as a banker, that because we don't have things right in front of us all the time, and we're, we're almost in a cashless society in some ways, I think it's very easy to not realize how much or where or when you're spending your money. Because now we sign up for subscriptions automatically. We do our bill pays automatically. So it's all being done and it's very convenient until there is a problem that we don't realize. With that being said, I, I certainly think that doing what Dr. Loftus and Dr. Blasey said, taking a little bit of time aside and just making sure that, that these transactions are correct or familiar to you is a very important process in being able to manage that day-to-day -day money because it makes a difference at the end of the month. I think it's important that you specified making sure the transactions are correct because I had an instance a while ago where I was just peeking through my statement, not really doing the in-depth look that I know I should be doing, but I saw a transaction and I recognized the place and I almost didn't give it another thought. And then I looked at the total that I was charged and there was a zero added onto my total. And I'm sure it was an accident, but I could have just let that pass by without noticing. And it cost me an extra hundred dollars. So just making sure that the transactions are exactly what you thought. And I think that's why it's so important, like Dr. Loftus was saying, actually looking at those receipts, which a lot of people don't do. They ask you in the store, do you want a receipt? People say, no, no, thank you. Dr. Blazy. One other thing I think is really good about looking at the receipts as well is you start seeing your spending patterns. 
And a lot of times what I do at the end of the month is look and see if what I'm spending is bringing as much value to my life and my day as I'm having to pay out. And so in medical school, we are, we're kind of spending like our future income. But when we get into practice as well, one of the things that I look at is how many hours it might have taken for me to work to get that item. And so that's one way that I can balance it out and say, is it worth it to me to work X number of hours to be able to get this item? And as a medical student, I remember hearing one time someone saying to me, uh, that hamburger that you eat today or that coffee from the name brand store that you drink today, you know, is going to get paid over the next 30 years with interest. And so the four or $5 coffee or seven or $10 coffee nowadays might actually end up costing you 15 to $20 later on. And I didn't really believe it at first. So that moment that I bought that coffee about 15, 16 years ago, I'm still paying for it today. And so that even makes me aware of my spending patterns today, because I'll think about what's bringing value to my life. That's a really interesting way to look at it. And I'm sure that'll help a lot of people. Other than cutting out that expensive coffee, do you think there are any other specific areas where students can focus on to easily help them save money every month? Claire, what do you think? One thing that a lot of medical students don't know is that, you know, when they fill out the FAFSA, if their expected family contribution becomes a zero, what happens is that they qualify for what they call SNAP benefits, which are food stamps. And basically what they would need to do is get a copy of their student aid report, which they could download on studentaid.gov and go to the food stamp, the SNAP benefit office and actually apply for food stamps. In addition to that, the FCC just released where under the CARES Act program also, that students that have that EFC of a zero can actually get reduced Wi-Fi costs for like $15 a month. That's awesome. Does anyone else have any tips? Susan. I think we touched a little bit on the importance of the concept of having a budget, you know, what to do with the budget. And, and I think a good idea is to take time to maybe take a, a sample month and record everything that you're spending your money on. That's how you actually do a budget. And it might sound a little time consuming, but I often kind of equate it to like, you know, the concept of you're going on a diet. And often in many of these diet plans, what's the first thing they say? write down everything you eat. And I think the concept actually applies well to budgeting because we often, just like I don't always realize how many different things I eat during a day, unless I write it down, then I'm like, oh, I really did that. I think the same thing applies for spending money. So if you do that for a time period, maybe you only choose a week and you say, you know, I'm going to really try to keep track of what I'm doing with my day-to-day -day money. Like I, I went to the store, I bought a newspaper. I went to the store, I had a, a, you know, a latte. I went to the store, I got an egg sandwich. Whatever it was, just find a time period that you can actually manage. It doesn't have to be a whole 30-day period, but if you could do that, it would be great. And then write the things down. And then from there, you can look back on that and say, hmm, what do I really not need? Can I identify some things that um, are not going to decrease the enjoyment level of my life, but may save some money? For instance, like we keep on going back to the drinks. There are circumstances and you know, situations where somebody could be purchasing 
multiple things like a cup of coffee two times a day. And depending upon what store you go to in a week without realizing it, you may have spent $50. And then you multiply that by four and you're at $200 for coffee. Don't get me wrong. I love my coffee and that's great. If you're a person that's you know trying to manage money and maybe you don't have unlimited funds, maybe you could buy a thermos. Maybe you only get your coffee that you like at the store once a week. All of these little things can save money so that by the end of the month, you may not be at a loss. You may actually have extra funds that you can then apply to something else or something special. Thank you, Susan. What about you, Dr. Blasey? You know, one of the things I think students can do to save money is while still having fun, because I think it's really important to balance that and still enjoy your life and have some of those comforts that uh, a lot of other people might be doing as you're going through medical school is finding those activities that maybe are reduced cost for students or free as well. I know for me, when I was a student, what I would do a lot of times is bring my student ID wherever I went. It's not just good to get into the building at the end of the day, but it's also a great way to get into like museums and different places for reduced costs. And so oftentimes I remember as a student, I would study at the public library in New York City. So we'd take the train into the city go to the New York Public Library, the big one with the lines out front, study all day, and then we'd take our student ID and go to like one of the local museums around and we could get a reduced cost admission to the, the museum or even a lot of times for free. And so we could make a study day into kind of a fun day. And that kind of made studying all day on a Saturday not so miserable at the end of the day because we made it into a city day. And finding out different uh, resources in the local neighborhood that might have reduced costs, like some of the gyms will give you reduced cost uh, memberships if you have a student ID. Or I know even some grocery stores will even give reduced costs for students to use if they use their IDs. So I always say, like, just keep that in your pocket and just bring it around wherever you go. And that can help a lot. The other thing, too, is sometimes even checking if you're going to get a cell phone or change your carrier is just to ask and say, hey, is there a student discount for people that have student IDs? And I know like different online systems that I've used in the past to purchase things allowed me to get different discounts because of that specifically. And then especially being a medical student, checking to see if there's discounts for health providers, because as a medical student, you're part of the healthcare system. And sometimes there's different offers to help medical students because they'll consider you as a physician to be able to offer things like maybe a lower discount on paying for your scrubs or some other clothing or items that you might need. Thank you. I really appreciate you discussing quality of life because I think that is one thing that we kind of lose in medical school when you're going into debt. You have to cut out the things that you enjoy to save money, but there are still ways to do it. I know for me, shopping is my favorite thing. So I go to a dollar store or a thrift store to get my clothes because I'm still getting things, which I love buying things, but I'm spending a lot less money than I would be. And it's better for the planet. And I've never realized the value of my student ID card. So thank you for that also. Other than suggestions for fun things, do you have any suggestions to help reduce costs associated with banking or your credit cards or other monthly expenses? Susan, do you have some? Yeah, I mean, I think there are several things that somebody can easily do to save a little bit of money and make sure that they're getting a good value with their money. That's important too. 
when you get a good value, you're going to feel good about yourself and you're also going to be able to, you'll have more spending power or saving power. So what I would suggest is um, since we are in, a, in an electronic world where we're using debit cards all the time, I mean, it's very, very prevalent. The concept of carrying cash around is not as prevalent as when I was a younger person. First thing I would say is everybody should, you know, in my opinion, have a little bit of emergency cash on them just in case, you know, the electric system goes down and you need some gas or you need something. You should have a practice of having some amount of cash on you on a regular basis. That would be a personal recommendation. But in regard to bank accounts where you're getting your debit cards from, not all banks are the same, just kind of like not all vendors are the same. Shopping around is a very good idea. It's not that hard. There are several you know, websites that you can do that now. You don't have to actually walk into the branches like you did when I was a branch manager. You want to be aware of what fees your bank accounts have. So if you're looking, look for student accounts. There are student accounts. Look for accounts that have free ATM transactions. This can be very challenging and very expensive. And again, going back to that concept of the electronic world, it's so easy to not see until the end of the month, whoops, I have seven transactions that are $5 each, or maybe I have 20. You want to make sure that if you're making withdrawals with your ATM, if you're out someplace and you're purchasing something, you don't want to pay for each individual transaction. So different banks will have different rules on this. One bank that I use uh, designates certain stores in the area or certain places that are free of charge. Hey, I like free of charge. That's a great thing to do. If you don't have to pay somebody for a service, don't do it. So make sure that you do something like that. Make sure that there are no minimum balance requirements. And then the, the scary monthly fee. You know, there are many options where you can have, uh, I don't want to go on and blanketly say you can have free checking, but there are certainly places where you can get that. If you have, I don't know, maybe medical students aren't in a position where they're having money direct deposited, but that's a big thing with banking. If you have, like, for instance, somebody's paycheck, now most medical students may not be working, but a helpful hint for any listener is that often banks will give you a free checking account if you are having a direct deposit go into that bank. And that can be a very nice cost savings, and it's also convenient. So I would suggest that. The other thing is check your interest rates. If you are using credit cards, sadly, there are some cards that are exorbitant in cost. For instance, many department store credit cards are, I'm just going to guess, I've heard of things being close to 30%. And then maybe you have a major credit card that if you have a good credit rating, and that's a key, good credit rating equals good interest rate, you would might only be paying, I don't know, I'm going to just estimate 13%. That's a big difference, especially if you're not somebody who can pay off your balance every month. You don't want to have to pay any more fees or interest than you have to. And so uh, I would suggest those things as, as starter things to help you save some money. Thanks, Susan. I think that's really helpful. Dr. Loftus, what about you? I just want to add really quickly on a couple of things that Susan was saying. Make sure you look at the type of account that you have and what kind of accounts the bank offers, as she was saying. But it's also about what you can get from that account over time. So Banks, as she was talking about, have 
tiered value to if you're depositing money and how much money you keep in your account. So having a specific tier may get you discounts on certain things. Reward offers, I think almost every bank gives reward offers right now. Making sure that you also understand the language of banking. I learned the hard way that having a savings account isn't always worth the savings, especially if you're continuously pulling from that savings account. There are actually federal regulations that say you can't pull more than so many times in a year. I will just say, I have a second checking account that is attached to my checking account where I keep savings in that account. So if I need to pull from it, it doesn't cost me money and it's not going to decrease how that account is standing. So you have to know the actual terms of banking and what it actually means to have a savings account transferring and so forth. Thank you. So to our alumni, how has repaying your student loans been for you? Sure. Dr. Blazy? Sure, I'm happy to answer that. You know, it can be a really scary thing when you get out of medical school and you have that large amount of student loan debt that you have to tackle. Really important is make sure not to not pay your loans. Like make sure to reach out to your loan vendors, see what the terms are and find out what you can do, what you can't do with the amount of money you make in residency. I know for me, the right option at the time was to go right into paying it because I was in a fortunate setting where I was able to uh, live at the hospital site and um, take the salary I was making residency and start paying at that point. And that provided me some benefits later on that still pay off today. And making sure that I didn't live the attending lifestyle while I was a resident. And that helped a lot. And when I got out of residency, I still kept that kind of mentality of being uh, not needing to buy the brand new car at the time, not needing to buy, do the expensive meals and stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong, I did treat myself to, to some really fun things when I became an attending. But what I did was I made sure to make it a priority that I would start pay off my student loans. And then what I also did was found people that I trusted. So I found good financial advisors that I could trust that gave me really good guidance. And sometimes the right answer was not to put extra money into my student loans when the money could go towards my retirement, which was paying more at that time in interest. So finding people that can help you out because we're doctors in the end. And I heard at one conference when I was a young physician and at almost every resident or young physician meeting at any conference, there'll be a financial session because as physicians, we're probably the poorest people when it comes to wealth outcomes for the amount of salary that we make. I think part of it is that in our 20s, we occur this debt, and then we don't really understand what the money means. And then we become attendings and we forget the value of what we're making. And so finding the right people to help kind of walk me through it. And I still do a lot of the things that I did as a medical student. So I still do the coupons. I love doing coupons because there's something that makes me feel like I'm winning. And so I think taking that competitive nature that all of us have as medical students uh, helps pay off because at the end of the year, if I can save a thousand dollars at my local grocery store on that receipt, I'm like saying I'm the winner of the store. And uh, people behind me sometimes will even look at me and say, 
oh my gosh, how many more coupons are going to pull out? And I try to get that number down as low as I can. So that's like one of my like pet things that I enjoy doing. The other things I do is I do a lot of the same kind of items that I did in medical school. Like I treat myself every once in a while to that really fancy coffee. It just makes me feel special. And if I see a student in that local coffee shop, then oftentimes I'll buy that student a coffee as well, because it just makes me feel good to be able to give back. And if, if an action or an item that I'm purchasing makes me feel good, then that's worth it. But if I am driving to work in the morning, I have my little thermos thing and I fill it up with my coffee. And if I want that like kind of fancier coffee, I might put a little uh, chocolate syrup in it and shake it up a little bit to make it feel like one of those mocha latte things or something, things that I don't understand how to order anyway after 20 years. So it saves me the embarrassment of trying to ask for a medium coffee in a store that doesn't let me order a medium coffee. And so that's just a couple ideas that I have with student loans is just to start trying to pay it off early. And if you have loans that are higher interest rates than others, and you have that extra money to be able to put into those loans, make sure to pay those like higher interest rates first. Like the interest rates, like and the numbers will look scarier, but the numbers add up on their own. So just being aware of that. And when in doubt, just ask for help. Thank you so much. Dr. Loftus, what about you? How has repaying student loans been for you? I'm actually going to tell you the opposite side of the coin for, from Dr. Blazy. It was definitely scary graduating with the, that debt. I also came from a family that had become credit card debt poor over the years. And it was livable and survivable still. But so I was kind of used to that. And that's what I grew up with. I will say that there are people who are coming into medical school from certain backgrounds who have always had debt and they don't know about any kind of saving of money or having generational wealth even and are working towards that at this point. And that's kind of some people's goal when they come into medical school is I'm going to be that provider. So I kind of thought that myself. And I knew though that it would be very important to live more like a medical student and continue living like that as I went through uh, residency and then went into my first job. However, I did not do that. And it, I did end up in a situation where I was without income and I thought I had enough savings where I didn't have enough savings. So I think one of the things to remember is that this debt that you are acquiring is something that you definitely want to always keep kind of in the back of your mind. It shouldn't always give you anxiety. It shouldn't, you know, be something that's overwhelming you, but you want to make sure that you're working towards cutting that down or at least being able to pay it as you go through the years. Have a goal, set goals. If you want to work for the rest of your life, that's fine. But most people don't. They want to retire. They want to, you know, have something to look, sit down and look back at and say, hey, I acquired this. So what are you doing to work towards getting rid of that debt so you can do that? I think that's something that if that had been said to me too, it may would have 
resonated a little bit more, maybe not, but um, definitely I did go out and buy the fancy things when I graduated. I did go out and at one point I was living paycheck to paycheck. And it wasn't that I had a lot of credit card debt or anything like that. It was just in my spending and my spending habits. I was definitely paying my uh, loans off and everything, but I also knew about deferment and I knew about forbearance. And those are words that students should also be familiar with, especially for situations they may need to use those in. But I knew about that and I used the system so at times I didn't have to pay. And that money doesn't go away though. My total debt doesn't go away. I still eventually have to pay it one day and it's sitting there and it's accumulating more money on top. I learned the hard way when I used all my savings when I had no income. And now I have fear of not having savings and making wrong decisions now. I totally agree with what Dr. Blasey is saying as far as, you know, you have to make sure you're thinking about your future and, and don't go out and just say, Hey, I have my, I have my six figure check and I can, I have money in my pocket. You want to make sure that you're spending wisely um, through residency and then on into your first, second, even sometimes your third job. That is something to keep in mind. Also, Dr. Blasey mentioned financial advisors. It's really kind of recommended that medical students even start looking for financial advisors before they even graduate. If you don't do this in medical school, you definitely should in residency. If you haven't in residency, the first thing you do when you sign a contract is get a financial advisor. You should probably also have an accountant. Those are things that are going to, you, you look at as possibly an expense, but they're going to pay off in the long run. Thank you, Dr. Loftus. So can anyone suggest any helpful online resources for budgeting or managing finances that they think would be helpful for our student listeners? Claire. Uh, I can, Kimberly. The AAMC provides a lot of information on budgeting from when you are a, a medical student, when you're applying to medical school, as well as when you're a resident. In addition, every school is required by federal regulations to perform what they call an exit interview. And during that exit interview, we actually bring in the AAMC. For the past two years, it's been uh, remotely, but in person, hopefully next year, we bring them in and uh, they actually go over every single repayment option for you for every single student loan, for the different types of loans, and they actually give you examples. And they're very good at what they do. The AAMC works with the medical students, works with the residency programs, works with all students to make sure that they understand their rights and the responsibilities regarding the student loans. We actually also bring in a financial advisor that knows a lot about student loans. I do encourage every single student to reach out to a financial advisor. 
Thanks, Claire. And thank you to our entire panel for joining us today. You all shared some great suggestions and ideas for helping to effectively manage day-to-day -day finances during medical school. And I'm sure that this will help a lot of my peers for years to come. So thank you so much. We hope that our listeners found these suggestions, ideas, and insights helpful from our very experienced panel. Thank you again for joining us at the SCOPE podcast.